I rubbed my eyes with cold fingers and watched the lighthouse at the breakwater fade into the distance. My masthead light winked out its red, green, and white warning as I probed deeper into the lake. In the pre-dawn darkness and fog patches I could feel the waves more than see them. Something in my mind kept repeating danger, danger, but I tried to ignore it. Sailing Lake Superior was as much a mental battle as a physical one. Hello? Security? I called on my VHF radio. This is the sailboat Persistence, leaving two harbors on a northerly course of 040. Over? I repeated my message several times, then flipped the switch to receive. There was only a white hiss. I picked up my damp chart to double-check my course and wrote down my compass heading and estimated speed. It was 5.19 a.m. I had just passed the Two Harbors Lighthouse. Finally, I was on my way up the North Shore, from Minnesota to the Canadian border. I had been on Superior for a little over a month, since embarking on the 4th of July from Bayfield, Wisconsin. I intended to sail as much of the world's largest freshwater sea as I could over this summer, to circumnavigate its 2,900 miles of inland shoreline, if possible. I had been warned that I could sail Superior's North Shore from mid-July to mid-August, but after that the lake couldn't be trusted. Now I had to hurry. I was behind schedule. Superior's damp chill penetrated my heavy nylon parker, wool sweater, and long underwear. I huddled down in the open cockpit. Though it was midsummer, the big sea has a way of draining a person of bodily warmth. I told myself that this was what solo sailing up north was all about, getting up in pre-dawn hours for a stretch of calm water before the lake began kicking up. High winds or worse inevitably came with fierce winds in late afternoon. Lake Superior was infamous for its quick-rising storms that sank even the most modern steel freighters. I reminded myself to be off the lake by 3 p.m. when the storms usually rolled in. Persistence began to be lightly bucked by rolling swells of dark water. I glanced at my watch. 6.58 a.m. Then I switched on the Kenwood transceiver and tapped out in Morse code. K-A-0-N-T-C. K-A-0-N-T-C. D-E-K-A-0-T-C-U. I swayed from side to side in my boat, listening. Somewhere out there, safe on shore, Loris, my wife, was hunched in front of her radio, trying to tune in my signal. The picture filled itself out in my mind. Nearby, and nearly underfoot, our oversized Shetland sheepdog, Angus, would be lying. In his bedroom, our thirteen-year-old son, Bill, would probably be half awake, listening for the dits and dashes that signified all was well. Minutes had passed between transmissions. I grew anxious. Something in the atmosphere was blocking the radio signals. If I couldn't get through, Loris would start to worry. Frustrated, I snapped off my radio and turned my attention back to navigating. The silver of fog and sea turned into utter blackness. As if by magic, a glowing red ball appeared on the horizon. Dawn was approaching. The sun bored its way through the fog and cast blood-colored rays upon Superior's dark waves. I hoped that it would burn off the fog, but then I remembered the old sailor's warning. Red sky at morning. Sailor take warning. The bow suddenly sliced into a wave crest and a torrent of white water was racing along the deck. Persistence shuddered at the impact and momentarily halted. I ducked. 
then swung the tiller to starboard to let my boat fall off a few degrees and find a better angle. I plunged ahead, but the seas were growing difficult. Slowly the day brightened, and the big sea turned a brilliant blue, flecked with whitecaps. In the distance I could see the shore, edged by foaming surf. Beyond the reefs the green shoreline climbed quickly into the Sawtooth Mountain Range. Wisps of vapor hung over the pine forests. A dark, almost black patch of land or fog, I couldn't tell which it was, lay on the horizon 